Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. It's always so amazing to be able to just worship together. It has this effect of focusing us, bringing us back to this place of just trusting in Jesus, just fixing our eyes on Him and, and believing that God is working all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So thank you for joining us in worship today. My hope is that in these next few minutes that I can encourage you, that I can encourage you with some truth from God's Word, from who He is, from what He has done for us, and for what that means for your life. And that is such a vital message. That hope for broken humanity is such an important message. It is the most important message that has ever been spoken. And it was brought to us by God himself through his son, Jesus. It's important, especially in times like these, when our world has, it just seems like it's gone mad. It has been turned upside down. People are outraged at injustice, but the truth is, is that injustice has been a part of humanity from the time of the fall. The, the sinfulness that we as pastors and, and uh, those that know the Bible are often talking about in our own lives, we're aware of it. It's not that we judge others for sin, but we understand that we're all affected by it in some way or another. We've all fallen short, and that sinfulness it plays out in injustice. And so we need God's help in dealing not only with what is happening in our world, but in what's happening in our hearts right now. There are many people this week. I mean, it, we've gone from a, a pandemic to a lockdown to economies crashing to a, a murder that was caught on camera um, and racism that was involved to, to riots and you know, protests and further murders and looting and just absolute craziness across the globe. And, um, and this is just, you know, something that always reminds me of, of the human condition, of what is happening, you know, what we see playing out in large-scale political movements and political oppression and systematic injustice in the world is often just a projected image. It is a larger picture of all the injustices that occur in our hearts, the prejudices that we all have, the brokenness, the sinfulness, the greediness, the selfishness, the dishonesty, just all the things that, is, that we've all had to battle as human beings. If you're like me and, and you know, you've lived any amount of time, um, you know, even my kids, I didn't have to send my kids to sin seminars or sin school <laughs> to teach them how to be disobedient or to rebel or to be you know, or to disobey in, in one way or another. They just do that naturally. It's bound up in us, and there is only one way for us to truly be free. But when we see these things, you know, it's easy for us to cry out about racism on a global scale. It's a lot harder for us to talk about the prejudice, the bias, and the racism that's in so many of our hearts, even if it's just in subtle ways, conscious and unconscious. And this is the space that we find ourselves in. So, so you know, when, when these kind of movements happen, I, I am so aware of the fact that, that the message that we need is the message of transformation, not just at a global scale, but at a personal individual level within families and homes and within communities. And that is why I believe God has breathed life 
through the Holy Spirit into his church to speak that message of hope and redemption. We as a church, we believe that all people are equally valuable in God's eyes, that every human being on this earth carries with him or her a divine dignity and is important. And we are trusting and believing that God helps us as a church, as a community, and alongside other churches and communities of which there are so many incredible communities out there that we would model this kind of unity and reconciliation and hope for humanity. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another, and that doesn't exclude anybody on any account, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's uh, race-based, whether it's uh, tribal-based, whatever it is, everybody is welcome. And before the throne in the book of Revelation, it says that there will be nations, multiple, a multitude of nations of every color, every creed, every tribe, every tongue will stand and worship the same God uh, in unity. And that is where true unity is found. It's amazing. But right now we are in this incredibly tumultuous time in our world's history. And some of it is good. It's we're busy correcting systematic injustice in some ways, or at least bringing it to people's awareness, uh, the awareness of the global community. Um, but, but some of it is also can also have the opposite effect that just drives that wedge in deeper. We want to be the ones that stand for reconciliation, for truth, for love, and want to show people what God's heart is towards everyone. And that's why we love the gospel. We love the message of Jesus and we love what it is that he is able to do in our lives. I saw somebody this week saying that that uh, at the moment you get up in the morning and you look outside the window to see what chapter in Revelation that we're in. <laughs> and if you don't know what the book of Revelation is all about, it's about the end times and all kinds of apocalyptic things that take place. And it kind of feels like that right now in our world. And it can make us feel all kinds of things. We often don't know what to say, how to say it, um, you know, what's going to bring healing, what's going to do more damage. And so in moments like that, I often like to be more circumspect about what I say. I'm aware of the fact that I have my own blind spots. And so I'm very careful about what I say because I want to speak thoughtfully and speak with grace and wisdom. And, and, uh, but one thing that I, I can always confidently say is that God loves all of us, that he has given us um, this mandate to share the hope of Jesus with the world with all people, nobody's excluded. That's our passion. That's what we're here to do. We're here to share the hope of Jesus with our city. So with all that said and with all that in mind, I wanted to expand a little bit on where the, the real issue, where the, the heart of the issue, so to speak, is when it comes to racism, when it comes to injustice, when it comes to all the, you know, the, the things that we see in the world. And I want to share a message with you today entitled, He is the Hope of Humanity. He is the Hope of Humanity. Uh, a, a subtitle for it would be The Stinking Tomb. And I'm going to go to John chapter number 11. So if you have your Bibles with you today, um, or if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that even though you're at home and even though this is a different context. Uh, you know, just, just get something that you can write this down, get it in your spirit. 
and go over it in the week. Pray over it. Let God speak to you from it. But John 11 verse 38 tells us about Jesus coming to the, the, the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus was his friend and Lazarus had died. And there was great mourning at the tomb, the tomb of, of Lazarus. And so Jesus arrives and it says in John eleven thirty eight, 38, it says, Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay, lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. The stinking tomb. He is the hope for humanity. Have you ever been disappointed in yourself? I know so often we express disappointment in others or in, you know, authorities or in systems or whatever. But, but have you ever just been legitimately disappointed in yourself? In my journey in wanting to be better as a human being, wanting to be better as a dad and as a husband and, and uh, you know, as a pastor and a leader, I'm often disappointed in myself. I often still find that I react or respond or do things in 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 ways that, you know, is not my heart, that doesn't reflect who I would want to be ultimately, that I'm asking God to help me to be. And, uh, and so often I find myself disappointed in something that I've, that I've done. Um, and, and maybe you felt that way before. I actually um, remember a while back, I was waiting at home for a delivery. Now, if you've had stuff delivered to your home, I know that we're doing that more than ever now. You know, one thing that is infuriating is that they can never give you a time that they're going to arrive. It's always like, you know, it's between Tuesday and, you know, Thursday in June 2021. You know, they, it's like you've got you to wait at the gate for a year for your delivery. And at some point, they'll arrive. And I remember one of these days when I was told that a delivery would be made before lunchtime. And so I waited the entire morning for the delivery guy to arrive. At about one or two o'clock, he hadn't arrived yet. And and I needed to go and get stuff done. And so I remember getting in my car going, well, he's obviously not showing up today. I got in my car. I drove. I arrived where I needed to be. As I got out in this, and it was a public space, as I got out, my phone rings. And I answer the call, and it's the delivery guy. And he's saying, I'm at your gate. Where are you? I've been, I've been waiting. We told you we're coming today. Where are you? I'm like, man, I waited for you all day. I waited for you. I was looking out for you. I was wondering when you were going to arrive. And eventually, I have a life. You know, I wonder if the delivery guys think that none of us have like lives or jobs or responsibilities because they'll just come whenever and you must just always be ready. So I'm like, I have a life. I have a job. I have things I have to do in the day other than waiting for you. And, and uh, while I'm giving him the speech, he hangs up the phone on me. And, you know, I try to be like Jesus and I try to have as much patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit and I've always asked God to help develop that fruit in my life. But, you know, there are moments that take me beyond where I want to go that just move me into the realm of, I would say, probably the flesh. Uh, and, uh, and that was one of those moments. When that guy hung up on me, um, you know, I was furious. So, you know, I try phoning back. His number is, is, is just engaged. It's not going through. And eventually it goes through and he answers. And before he can say anything, I launch into the best speech I'll ever regret. I'll give, I give him such a piece of my mind that I've waited for him all day. And then he goes and hangs up on me. And, 
And when I eventually give him a, you know, a moment to speak, he says to me, I'm sorry, sir. Um, I was speaking to you from my personal cell phone and I ran out of airtime. So I had, I was using my, so in other words, he was using his own money to make that phone call. And I had given him such a speech that I had used up all of his money. And when he, when I eventually phoned him back, you know, I gave him another speech and then I heard the truth of the matter that actually he had gone out of his way to try and help me. And I can't tell you, I just, I felt like I was breaking out into a cold sweat. It was just, I was so disappointed in the fact that I had overreacted. Now, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully I've become a lot better since then. But if we're honest today, we all hit these moments. We all come to these places, these times where no matter how much we say, I'm going to be a good Christian this week, or I'm going to serve people this week, or I'm going to be kind, or I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be the, the greatest husband and the best dad or the best mom, and you know, I'm going to be a great wife, or I'm just going to be more patient, more loving, more gentle. You know, we, we want these things. But then life tests us. We run into these walls. We come to the end of ourselves. And before we know it, we're acting in ways that disappoints us. And so I've often felt that way. And I know that this reality keeps a lot of people from serving God wholeheartedly. They feel unworthy of actually being able to serve him because they know how disappointed they are in themselves. And our standards compared to God's standard, we know doesn't even come close. So if I'm disappointed in myself, how much more disappointed is God with me? And that's how we feel. That's how we think about God. And that's how we think that he must be thinking about us. And so sometimes what we do, uh, and this usually happens when we're still slightly delusional, is that we try to be better. I can be better. I can be better. That is the, the world's solution to everything. Let's just be better. Just be kind. Just be positive. Just be helpful. Just don't be a racist. Just be more loving. Just be more accepting. Just be more tolerant. It's just, you've just always got to be better in every different sphere. And many times we strengthen our resolve to improve ourselves as believers, as Christians, as, you know, all these different things. And, you know, we, we, we try to break free from the negativity that so often grips us. And we, we try to do things. We read books. We go to seminars. We, place, we put boundaries in place. We seek accountability. You know, all these kinds of measures that we put in place to try and curb the natural sinful desires of our hearts. But the moment the pressure is on, that, that true self emerges again. The moment you know, you're taken beyond what your ability is. And sometimes this happens because, you know, you just haven't eaten enough today. <laughs> just that little bit of, you know, maybe glucose that your brain needed to assert some self-control is now lacking and therefore you just lose it, you know. And we all reach those points and we, we all come to that point, um, you know, often. That's just part of what we wrestle with as human beings. In Mark 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus actually says this about these things that we struggle with. And this is, this is so enlightening what he says. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. You know, Jesus was talking about the fact that the Pharisees were, were accusing him of, 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 you know, 
of who he was eating with and what he was drinking and all these things, like, like as if it's these little things that, that defile you. And Jesus would say, it's not actually the things that's on the outside that defiles us. There's actually, there's actually something different. It's something on the inside. It's what comes out from within us that defiles us. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's a long list of things. Out of the heart of man, and that word man there obviously means mankind, humanity. Out of the heart of humanity comes evil thoughts and pride and, and, and you know, murder and wickedness. Racism and all the things that we're facing in our world right now is not just a systematic issue. It's resulted in a system, but it's a heart issue. It starts within us. Jesus says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So we have a real problem as the human race. And it's not a will problem. It's not a desire. It's not that we don't desire good. We all agree that what's good is good. It's not a motivational problem. It's not like a pep talk fixes everything. It's not even primarily a political problem. It is a heart issue. It's a problem with this tomb that we all have in our chests called our hearts. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can even understand all the sinful desires that tug and are at work, the forces that are at work in, our, in the heart of a broken, of broken humanity. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of mankind. He saw that it was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Continually evil. We're so evil in our hearts without Jesus that we even deceive ourselves into believing that we're not that we don't really have an issue, that we're better than others, that, you know, we may not be perfect, but at least we're not dot, 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 whoever you want to fill in there. We convince ourselves that we're fine. But what Jesus says is that left to ourselves, the human race doesn't have the ability to fix what's wrong, to fix what's broken. And God doesn't sit far away, distant from all of this, pointing at us, saying, look at these broken people. Look at how sinful they are. You know, I want nothing to do with them. I will distance myself from them. No, we see the opposite. God sends his son, Jesus, into the broken world, knowing full well that the people that God is sending his son to are so against truth that they will crucify truth himself. They're so anti the creator that they will nail that creator to the cross. This is the reality of, of the world in, into which you know, God 
sent his son, sent Jesus. And he did it because he loved us. And so God draws near where there is brokenness, where there is sinfulness. His grace comes near. It says in, in verse 38, Jesus groans as he approaches the tomb. That word groans there indicates intense sorrow. And so as he's coming close to Lazarus's tomb, Jesus feels the sorrow of death and of brokenness in this world. It was never the way it was meant to be. Jesus feels intense sorrow over the condition of man's heart. God feels this. And he wants and has done everything needed for us to find freedom from it. It's that sorrow that sent Jesus to the cross. It says that it was a cave. This tomb of Lazarus was a cave and a stone lay against it. It's just this fortified, hardened place that's filled with death. It's, it's hollow. A cave is, is hollow. It's cold. It's hard. And it has this, this fortified entrance of hard rock. And in places in the scripture, it describes the human heart in that way. It talks about the hearts of people as hardened, as cold, as unable to feel, unable to beat, unable to, to commune with God and unable to worship, unable to truly love. It's hardened to the voice of God and it's filled with death. This is the true state of the heart of humanity. It says Jesus came to that hardened place and he said, take away that stone. Martha responds saying, but Lord, there is a stench. It stinks. He's been dead for four days. And I just felt that this is such a great picture of what we do when God approaches us. When Jesus comes to our hearts, to our lives, when, when we experience the reality of his presence and, and Jesus says, let me in, let me come in and let me, let me be with you. Let me, let me speak to you. Let me transform you. Receive me and accept what I have done for you and my grace for your life. And so often we are like Martha. We say, no, God. You can just come and be in the same room. Like we'll go to church on Sunday and we'll be in the same room, but I don't want you to come in here. We don't really want God to transform our hearts because we know what our hearts contain. We know what we struggle with. We know what we deal with. We know what we suffer. We know what we think. And so we say, God, you're okay kind of here on the perimeter, here on the outside, but I cannot open up my heart to you. I know there's a stench. We don't want our death exposed. We don't want to open up our hearts. We just want to seal up this stinking tomb. In John 11 verse 40, we see how Jesus responds to her. He says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus charges Martha and charges us to believe in him. If we put our trust 
in the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do for us, we will see the glory of God. What is it about Jesus that we are to believe? We see a clue at the beginning of the story. In John 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick. We're rewinding the story here a little bit. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Mary and Martha, they need help. This is a situation beyond their control. There's nothing that they can do to help their brother or to heal their brother. They cannot do anything to, to rectify the situation. And that is true of us and our hearts. There's nothing that we can do to truly transform our hearts. Yes, we can dress it up a little bit better. Yes, we can modify our behavior. Yes, we can limit the spaces that we enter that you know, would, would lead us into the temptation to fulfill certain desires. But we cannot eradicate the desires themselves. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves from the sin that is in our own hearts. We're in that situation. And so Mary and Martha appeal to Jesus for his help. And in that same way, we get to appeal to Jesus. And for years, many did. But what I want you to pick up on here is the basis of their appeal. What, what did they say to Jesus? Did they say, hey, Jesus, you know, Lazarus is a great man. He is good. He's, you know, he's never done anything wrong. He's, he's always, you know, paid his taxes and been respectful. And, you know, he has, uh, you know, good um, standing in the community. And so, you know, he's worthy, Jesus, of your healing. Won't you come through and heal him? They didn't give Jesus a long list of Lazarus's credentials. They didn't even say that Lazarus loved Jesus. Now, this is the basis of their appeal. They say, he whom you love, Jesus, is sick. Jesus, the one you love is sick. You see, they don't appeal to Jesus on the basis of Lazarus's love for him, but on his love for Lazarus. Jesus, you love this man. Come and heal him. And when we face the reality of our own sinful hearts, our only option is to appeal to Jesus on the basis of his love for us. Jesus, we are sick. We have a problem. We have an issue in our hearts. But you love us. Won't you help? He is so faithful. In fact, he's already proven his love. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, before we even made that appeal, Jesus died for us. That's how God demonstrated his love. He showed us. He really cares. So whoever you are today, you don't need to be afraid of what's happening in your heart. You don't need to be ashamed of the stench that may be in there, whatever that looks like, whatever it comes from, whatever produces 
that stench, that odor. It doesn't keep Jesus from opening up your heart and stepping into that mess with you. That's where Jesus does his best work. He is at his best when we are at our worst. Jesus arrives at the tomb. The first thing he does is that he weeps. He feels. He has compassion. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus weeps with those that are at the tomb. He groans in his spirit. He commands the hardened stone which lies before the door of our hearts to be moved. He isn't afraid of our stench, our death, our sin, or our mess. He is a savior. He is the hope of broken humanity. And he says, if you believe, if you believe in his goodness, if you believe in his love, if you believe in his sacrifice on the cross, will you not see God's glory? Once we see his love, we cry out to him. He arrives. And as the stone of Jesus's tomb was rolled away and Lazarus's tomb was rolled away, so the stone in front of our hearts can be rolled away as well. And all of a sudden, we see the glory of God manifested, which, is, which just means to be put on display, to be, to be revealed, to be shown in a human life. We see it. Here it is. This is what the glory of God looks like when it impacts the human life. What happens? The dead come to life. The dead come to life. The gospel is not about taking bad people and making them good. It's about taking dead people and bringing them to life. And that's what Jesus does. As he came to life, as the tomb, as the, the stone that was in front of his tomb was rolled away and he was raised from the dead, the Bible says we are raised with him. We're raised with Christ. We have the newness of life. John 11 and verse 43. It says, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Jesus calls the dead to life. And in the Hebrew culture, they believed that a, a, a spirit could still remain with the body for the first three days. But after the third day, the spirit departs and he's truly dead. And so it's not, just, it's not just a small measure of death that we experience. We need complete resurrection, not just modifying our behavior, but a new life, an exchanged life. He had been dead for four days, but the glory of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God brings to life that which was once dead. And it brings supernatural God kind of life with all the peace and all the, the transformation and all the joy and all the strength that, that that brings to our hearts and to our lives. This was a fulfillment of a promise 
that God spoke many, many years before. We see it in Ezekiel 36 verse 26. God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. You see, heart is just, it's just another word for spirit or soul. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. There it is. I saying, I know that you have a hardened heart. I know that you have a cold, hollow heart that, that, that doesn't know how to live. But when I enter your life, I will remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that we may know him, that we may truly love one another, not just when it's virtuous to do so on social media, not just posting of something on Instagram in support, but truly loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not human to do that. It's human to fight. It's human to be envious. It's human to to have the kind of conflict we see in our world right now. What is divine is to love. And we get that love, the truest form of that love, from God himself. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, now we can love one another. We can be those examples that we should be to this world. This is what God gives us. He, he gives us life. Even though scientists these days claim to have figured out where life came from, saying that it came from, you know, all these different processes that took place billions of years ago. And they can describe the process up until the point where actual life occurs, where life happens, where an inanimate thing in that Primordial soup somehow becomes animated and receives life. And the reason why science doesn't have that answer is because it's only God that can cause life. Life is created. And he is the only one who can give life to the death that we have within us. Those hearts that, that were corrupted by sin. Lazarus steps forward. He comes to life, but he's wrapped in grave clothes. And maybe this is where you're at. Maybe this is how you're feeling right now. Like I've heard the voice of Jesus. I've opened up my heart. I've heard him speak to me and he has called me to come to life and to step forward. But I still feel like I'm wrapped in some death. I still feel like you know, the garments of my old life are kind of holding me back. I still struggle with different thoughts, with sinful things, with addictions, with prejudice, with, with selfishness. I still have an issue, even though I have already heard the voice of Jesus and come forth. I have responded. But I love what Jesus commands. He commands that they that Lazarus be loosed and that death let him go. Loose him and let him go. You see, Jesus delivers us from every form of death. And that is sometimes for us a process. 
That's how we're growing as human beings. And that's how we need to have grace. That's the space in which we need to have grace for one another on this journey. Because none of us have attained it yet. We're not at that place yet where every single bit of the effect of the sinfulness that you know, so easily ensnares us, that we're still caught up in it at times. None of us are completely there yet in our experience on earth, although in heaven, in who we are in Christ, in our identity before God, we are perfect. So this is the thing. Hebrews states it this way, that, that he is forever sanctifying and changing and transforming those who have been made perfect. So you are perfect in Christ. But your experience on earth is catching up with who you really are. And the more you focus on who you really are, your identity as, as the righteousness of God, as the one that is made completely whole, forgiven, loved, the one whom Jesus loves, the more you understand you are the one whom Jesus loves, the more you will be transformed into the one that lives in a way that is supernatural that is truly loving, that reflects that love to others. That's the process. But this is what Jesus does. He doesn't just do a one-time work. He continually works in us, delivering us from every form of death so that we do not need to stumble or be bound. We are free to be alive. It is for freedom, the book of Galatians says, that Christ has set us free. Romans 6 verse 8 puts it this way. It says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. He did it for all of us. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, listen to this, this is so good. So you also must consider yourselves, consider yourself, think about yourself in this way, see yourself in this way, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin infiltrate your life to make you obey its passions. We don't have to obey the sinful desires that we are tempted with because in Christ we have been given the ability to be free, to live life in freedom. Some people think that to be free means to do every evil thing I want to do. That's freedom. I just want to, I want to steal, I want to kill, I want to take anybody out that gets in my way. That's freedom. No, that's not freedom. It's not freedom if you can't stop doing it. If it controls you, if it drives you, it's not freedom. But what God gives us is the freedom to no longer obey those passions. We don't have to sin anymore. We get to live another way. We actually get to be the people we long to be, not because we're good enough, but because Jesus is transforming us and has saved us. It's so good. Jesus stepped up. To the stinking tomb. He rolled away the stone. He defeated death. He called us forward. He set us free. And he did all of this 
because of his love for you and for me and for everyone. His love for us. He is the only hope for humanity. And I want to encourage you today. Put your faith in him. Let him be your hope. Don't put your hope in a political system. We know the history of politics in every nation across the generations. It's never perfect. It always includes injustice. Our only hope is in the kingdom of God, is in his rulership, in his reign, and in the future he has for all of us. And there is a time, and we long for the day, when Jesus will show up, and he will bring true peace to this world, and the government of the world shall be upon his shoulders. And that's a day that we look forward to. But you can experience that rulership and that reign in your heart and in your life. And we can have that in our community right now as a church, as his church. So let's put our faith in that. If you believed, would you not see his glory? I believe that you would. I believe that you would. I want to go ahead and pray with you right now.